0: Welcome to Rebuilding. This podcast is designed to help the church rebuild its walls one person at a time. For more information, check us out at www.piercepoint.org. Psalm one, nineteen, fifty-seven 57-64, these are the words of God. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your word. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. I considered my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I hastened and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight, I shall rise and give thanks to you because of your righteous ordinances. I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. The earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. So we've all heard it taught, and rightly so, uh, that God should be number one in our lives, right? God should be number one in our lives. But we've also been taught, incorrectly, I might add, uh, that as God takes top priority in our life, everything else in life should be placed neatly into some unspoken order uh, below God. This is a job that uh, nobody can do with any absolute certainty. Anyone who's studied this idea or tried to apply it, that is, God is first and then there's a specific order underneath, uh, knows that it's an untenable position, an untenable way of living. Sure, it's better than any view that places uh, people or things above God. Obviously, that's idolatry and that's clearly prohibited in the scriptures. But uh, it's just not what the scriptures teach. That we have God first, and then we're going to have a a, a hidden lesson in the Bible somewhere that tells us how the order goes underneath. You won't find a single passage of Scripture that says, love God first, and then here's the order of how to love everything after that. And believe it or not, you won't find that for love God first, and by the way, love your wife second. Love God first, and love your husband second. You just won't find this. It's simply not in the Scriptures. So, if this isn't true, if it's not actually there, uh, there's a couple of questions that uh, arise, and that is, number one, why did we believe it? (laughs) There's a lot of questions like that. Why do we believe this stuff we believe? Uh, But the more important question for me today is, uh, what then is the correct idea? We can spend time answering the why questions uh, a little bit later, but what is the right understanding? Well, in Psalm 119, David tells us, Uh, He shows us that if God is everything to his people, if he is absolutely everything, that if God is our portion, which is the title of the message today, if God is our portion, then whatever else there is in life, whatever it is, becomes transformed necessarily. It's transformed in our minds and in our hearts, everything else. And it falls under him regardless of its order. We treat it different. We interact with it different. Jesus actually changes everything in us if Jesus has truly changed us. This is a really important idea. This information or uh, this idea is really amazing because uh, it It is to affect every aspect of your life. It should affect your work. It should affect your play. It should affect everything. From the relationships that you have to the possessions that you have. It even transforms enemies into objects of our love and mercy. That's curious to me. That's a hard thing for me to wrap my head around because when people hate you, it's really hard to love them. But if Jesus is first, if Jesus is everything, it changes uh, everything. Right, this is the real power of redemption, church a new heart and a new mind, not just towards God, but a new heart and a new mind towards everything in life. The idea of God being our portion wasn't just David's opinion either. Christ taught the same idea when he said, Don't worry, don't worry. How many of you like that instruction? Don't worry. How many of you live by it? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, don't worry, but seek first the kingdom and all its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus wasn't establishing a priority list. I know that the term first throws us here, but I can prove this to you. He never told us what should come next in the scriptures. Not one verse. One might say that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, and then love our neighbor as ourselves, but that hardly uh, gives us a detailed priority list, right? It doesn't doesn't seem to follow with what we've come up with. Instead, Jesus taught us to seek first his kingdom, which thus offers us a new perspective. It changes everything. We look at him first, everything else underneath falls in line. Not surprisingly, Jesus presented this perspective again and again. For example, when he contended with the tempter or the devil, as most of us would say, Matthew chapter 4, 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man shall not live on bread alone. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? Because why? Because his portion is the Lord. This is what Jesus is getting at. It's what David understood. That's why we see it in the Psalms. So, man shall not live on bread alone because Jesus is the portion. But between our selfish tendencies and the enemy's strategy to woo us away from God, we often lose sight of who our true portion is, don't we? We think that possessions are our portion. We think that our family is our portion. We think all kinds of things replace that. When the enemy tried his strategy on Jesus, of course, our Lord never wavered, which is what he's calling us to do as well. He stared the devil down. Now, he can fight the devil all he wants. You're supposed to resist the devil, so stop picking fights with the devil. I just think that that's absurd, right? He stares the devil down, and while he's staring the devil down, he he teaches us a critical lesson in the process. Jesus did not say man cannot live on bread alone. At least not in the earthly sense. And I know all of you carb lovers are happy right now, right? Right? Man, he didn't say man cannot live on bread alone. We can. We can live on bread this life. He also didn't say man does not need bread to live. Jesus never said man does not need uh, bread to live. He provides for us. He keeps telling us he's going to provide for us, right? Uh, What's the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Why are we asking if we don't need that? Why don't we just live on Jesus? Because he knows how he created us, right? Instead, Jesus taught that our portion should be the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When God is our portion, when this is true, everything else can and will fall into place. I love this truth, church, and I'm going to hope that throughout today I can, I can make this sink into you a little bit better because it will change everything. The idea, again, of a proper order subsequent to God being first is not only foreign to the Bible, but it actually leads to a whole lot of confusion. Specifically concerning relationships. And I know that you're going to relate to what I'm about to say. Because I've heard the conversations. I've most likely had the conversations with you about these issues, right? Parents often wonder why or wonder if they're putting their uh, children in the right place above or below their spouse. How many of you know this? This is a hard thing. It gets even harder when you have a mixed family. Because, you, you know, there's blood and then there's... What's brought in, and so it becomes challenging for people. So, so parents wonder if they're putting their children in the right place—that's above their spouse or even above their extended family. Unmarried people uh, wonder if parents uh, wonder if parents or friends or ministry should take first, second, or third place. So what happens? Do I work for the church, or do I care for my mom who's ailing, or what, what do I do in these situations? My mom is not ailing, by the way. Uh, working moms struggle with this, with work versus kids. I mean, think about that dynamic. If I don't work, I can't feed my kids. If I'm not there to take care of my kids, they're going to run amok. Like, this is a real struggle for working moms. Grandparents struggle with this when it comes to children versus grandchildren, and we can go on and on with this list. Uh, And and what is really important is to remember this list is not given in the Scripture. What is given in the Scripture is if Jesus is your portion, all of those things become transformed. You see them very different. You understand how to love a wife, how to love a husband, how to love your children, how to love your grandparents, how to respect those people you work for, all of that. All of that happens, right? The idea of a set-in-stone relational hierarchy, like this top-down idea... Uh, necessarily turns into a spiritual rat race. It becomes exhausting when we're doing this. I've seen it far too often. But through study, what I've come to understand, and I admit that I've changed my position on this subject, what I've come to understand is that God, if God, is our portion, we are not uh, chained to this kind of traditional or presented order. You want to hear a really fun word today? I was dared I wouldn't say this word in the message today. The word is... Tralatitious, Isn't that a fascinating word? Isn't that really cool? It, it doesn't mean anything more special than tradition, so we're just, we're just going to keep with that, but I won my bet. Anyway, okay, so, so we're not chained to some tralotitious order case you like those words. I do. I'm a dork. But anyway, instead, we're transformed. Some of you are Googling this right now. Stop, okay? <laughs> anyway, we're transformed to love and to live rightly in every circumstance. If you're watching on Facebook, do not switch tabs looking up tralatitious. okay? Get back Get back to the sermon, okay? Okay, so <laughs> with this, the transformational power of God as our portion, that's what this is, in view. We're going to jump to verse 57, then we're going to go to verse 58, and then I'm going to wrap it up as a conclusion. And we're going to do all kinds of practical application next week. So here's what verse 57 says. It should be on the screen for you. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. Now, I'd love for you to say that with me because this is a truth for those who are submitted To King Jesus, okay? So say this with me The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. In Deuteronomy, uh, we have record of God's election for service for the tribe of Levi. This priestly caste was entrusted with teaching. Uh, the ordinances of God, the laws of God, all to his people. Okay, this is the job of the Levite. They were also given the right, not just a privilege, but the right to um, offer incense before God all the time and to administer the burnt offerings. It's just their, their responsibility. This particular calling brought them a twofold blessing. Okay, they were given provision and they were given protection. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? provision and protection. How many of you sign up for that? I want provision. I want protection. That sounds really awesome. Well, we're going to see in just a second that this is actually true for all New Testament believers. Why? Because if God is our portion, then this is the promise. We've entered into a place of a royal priesthood, and so God has said that he would take care of us. Uh, Deuteronomy 33 verses 8 through 11 actually spell this out in detail. And I'm going to read the NIV. That's what's going to be up on the screen. And I'm doing so this time for clarity of thought. For clarity of thought, because sometimes the NASB, which is my favorite translation, uh, it is a word-for-word translation, and it gets very clunky in its rendering because it's just doing word-for-word-for-word-for-word. For word for word for word. And so sometimes you need to, you need to zoom out to, to get the thought. So here's the thought according to uh, the NIV. About Levi, he said, Your Thummim and Urim belong to your faithful servant. You tested him at Massa. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. He said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. This is actually a reference to uh, Exodus 32, and the, the verses that you want to zoom in on are verses 25 through 29 if you study that this week. But the story is the story of the golden calf. You all remember the story of the golden calf, right? When Moses had come down from the mountain, he found a people reveling in idolatry, and guess what? Justice needed to uh, be enacted. So justice was required. That justice was carried out by those who did not participate in the sinful acts of Israel. These were the sons of Levi, and you can check that yourself. You can, uh, you can test what I'm saying. Uh, this is an important point, and I'll get back to my, my greater points here, but it's really an important point because throughout history, although all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, throughout history, although we are wretched, vile sinners in need of a Savior, that's an absolute truth. Even though that is the case, throughout history we see glimpses of different people that were faithful to God. It did not mean they didn't need their sins taken care of. Everyone needs their sins taken care of. It simply meant that they recognized God alone could do it. So we see it in Abraham. He was considered a righteous man because of his faith in God. We see it in Noah. He was considered a righteous man because of his faith in God. We see it in Job. He was a righteous man because of his faith and trust in God. Were they all sinners? Yes. They were all sinners. They all were in desperate need of salvation. But it didn't mean, and it doesn't mean when we read things like we read in uh, Romans, where everybody is wicked and above, you know, the, no one does right, no one, not even, not even one. When we read that, we have to know what the context is talking about. Because what it's not saying is that no one wanted to honor God. It says that no one can, not apart from faith. We cannot do it. We have to trust. So Abraham, Noah, we have Job. We see this in the New Testament as well. Who is there? We see uh, uh, Zechariah. We see Anna. They are waiting for what? The consolation of Israel. They're waiting for God to do something. Well, why would you wait if no one seeks after God? Ah, it's because we don't understand Romans. Of course people sought after God. The issue is you can't make it to God on your own. You need King Jesus. You need his life lived for you. So, in the story of the golden calf, the Levites were people who stayed faithful to God. This is why they became God's priests according to the scripture. Not only did they not sin against God, but they also paid no regard, and this is where it gets challenging, church, they paid no regard to father or mother, brother, child uh, in this time. They paid no regard. If they sinned, they sinned. We're going to set ourselves apart from this. Instead, what they did was they watched over faithfully. They watched over God's word and they guaranteed his covenant. This is hopefully who we will be as God's people. Deuteronomy goes on to say, He, meaning Levi, teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless all his skills, Lord, and be pleased with the work of his hands. Strike down those who rise against him, his foes, till they rise no more. The Levitical task was lofty. Okay, Uh, The blessings were immeasurable. The provision and protection of God, how can you get better than that? But this is where the cost of this election shows up. And it's very, very uh, weighty right? Though each of the other tribes of Israel were given a portion of the promised land, this consisted of clearly defined territory with boundaries and all this, uh, the Levite had none. The Levite was given no inheritance, and check this out, you're going to you remember this language, they were given no inheritance in this life. This wasn't where they found their home. This was not their home. There was something greater. There was a presence and a place with God. So the Levite was given absolutely no uh, territory, no inheritance in this. Here's what Moses says. Therefore, Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance. Just as the Lord your God spoke to him. Uh, The Levite portion was God alone. I don't know about you, but that sounds very awesome to me. Remember, uh, what we just read from Deuteronomy 33, Levi had been willing to forsake everything, right? For the sake of God, for the sake of his kingdom, for the sake of his righteousness. In the same way, check it out church, in the same way you and I are called to this. Why? Because we've been made a royal priesthood. Jesus and the Apostle Peter speak to this. Uh, Peter calls us a royal priesthood in 1 Peter 2, 9. And then there's the warning from Jesus in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, that if we're not willing to uh, leave everything to follow after King Jesus, the Scripture says we are not worthy of him. The greater context of Luke 14, that hard passage that says, unless a man hates his father and mother and his children, he cannot be my disciple. You all know this passage, and that's like, wait a second, what is going on? The greater context has to look back to Exodus 32. It has to look back to what a priest would have done. They would have abandoned all things in view of sin, in view of the world walking a certain way, to keep after Jesus or to keep after God. This, to me, is life-changing. This is life-changing because Jesus is not contradicting himself. Hey, love everybody, but hate your dad. That doesn't make much sense, okay? What he is, though, saying is when it comes to me... You would even abandon that person. You would even walk away because I have what is right. I'm in control of that person. I can deal with that person. You come after me. That's what the Levites did. So in the golden calf experience, that's exactly what set them apart. And you should read that on your own because God's justice was very, very brutal. So Levi understood what David here is communicating, a truly life-changing principle. If God is our portion, we have all that we need. If God is our portion, then everything else can and will fall into place. We don't have to stress about all those things. This may make sense of Paul's somewhat confusing teaching about... uh, marriage and its value, and his preference to singleness in First Corinthians chapter seven. Although marriage is God's created order, singleness can provide a person with unwavering devotion to God and His mission. Why is that? Well, it would seem it's easier to see God alone as your portion when your wife's not distracting you. Sorry, <laughs> that was good. Sorry, I just I had to throw that out there. So anyway, that was she'll she'll. She'll be fine with that later. I promise you. Anyway, okay. Let's get back to David. That was good. What? What? Quit looking away. Anyway, okay. So what's so? Int- I'm in trouble. Anyway, okay. So what's so interesting about this concept, though? To me, this is a very important part because it's to me. It's interesting to me is that David's words in Psalm 1957 are interesting because David's not a Levite. That's interesting. David is not a Levite. David was of the tribe of Judah. Through David, God creates, God forms a line of kings. And yet in this verse, David makes what appears to be a Levitical vow. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. What did the Levite do in Deuteronomy? The Levite had a portion which was God's because they kept his word. That's really awesome. Forsaking everything, David looked to God. What happens as a result was that David's life became shaped by humility. David's life became shaped by repentance. David's life became shaped by the mercy of God, by the justice of God, and many other things. Because God was David's portion, everything in his life was reshaped. Everything in his life was reshaped. Did David continue to sin, church? Of course he did. That doesn't mean your life isn't shaped. Here's when you know your life isn't reshaped. When you sin but you refuse to repent. That's how you know that your life is not transformed and shaped truly by God. This is one way uh, that David gives us an example uh, to be people after God's heart. Again, he's a repentant individual. He's always looking to God as his portion. In Psalm 16, verse 5, Mark read this as the call to worship this morning. David gives this portion language again. Here's what he says. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. This is David speaking to God. So God, to David, uh, was both the source and the substance of the inheritance. I like this concept, okay? He's the source and the substance. The reason I point this out is that all too often we try to attain the substance of godliness uh, without communing with the source of godliness. How many of you know that this is true? Maybe I need to explain it a little bit better. But we often uh, try to attain the source of godliness or the substance of godliness without communing with the source. We attend church, we read our Bibles, and it's often the case, we assume that we can learn absolutely everything we need by re- reading human sources. You know that that's not how that works, right? This is important. All the while, we fail to sit with the Father. We fail to sit with our King. Now, don't overcorrect me now, okay? This is what happens. You'll notice in my preaching, I'm always trying to like be at the middle of the tug of war rope. This is just part of who I am. So don't overcorrect the idea that I just shared. I am not saying that books and church and the Bible and all those things are not important. I'm not saying that they're bad in any way, shape, or form. God, as a matter of fact, gave to the church certain gifts. Pastors, teachers, prophets, apostles, evangelists. Most of those write books, right? Whatever. But all of that is for the growth of the body. That's what the Bible's for. But he didn't do this to the exclusion of communing with him directly. He did it in conjunction with those things. All that I'm saying in this is this is a both-and, and and it always will be a both-and you will trust in the God of the universe, you will rest in his presence, and you will also read what he wrote, and you will obey what he wrote, because he wrote that we should listen to each other. He wrote that we should submit to one another. He wrote that we should not forsake the assembling of the saints. Those are his words, so you can Take it as just a preacher jumping up on a soapbox. But what happens, and this is just common, is we overcorrect. We want holy huddle with Jesus, no Bible. We want all Bible, no holy huddle with Jesus, and both are stupid. Okay? Both don't work. Because he didn't make it to work that way, church. He did not make it to work that way. He has brought us together. The the inspired word of God is his word. I did a blog post. I encourage you to go to the blog and check this out. I broke down the eight different words that are used in the New Testament for the word word. And I demystified the snot out of it. Because it drives me crazy. Well, I don't want to read the Logos word of God. I want to experience the Rhema word of God. Clearly, you don't know what those words mean. Because it's not what you have been told. So check that out. It's really important. This is not, we've got ooey-gooey spiritual on one side or hypercritical stuffy weirdos on the other side, okay? Well, actually, both are weirdos. Anyway, I'm just going to put that out there. There's a marriage here, church. The God of the word that Barney mentioned last week gave us the word of God and everything it says. You don't get to play games. You get to have it both. We've seen time and time again in Psalm 119 that God is indivisible from his word. Therefore, when we say that God is our portion, we are necessarily saying that God's word is also our portion. This is why David repeats himself so often regarding the value of the word of God or his need for it. God's word, God's statutes, God's commands, God's promises, all of these were cherished to David. He didn't say, oh, by that I don't mean any kind of scroll, I just mean sitting with Jesus over somewhere. He didn't say it, okay? So our principle remains, God, if God is our portion, everything else can and will fall in line. David recognized God as his portion. Jeremiah believed God was his portion, and we should do the same thing. Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. As Christians, I hope that that will be something we say, right? Because whether we know it or not, this is actually true. If we are submitted to King Jesus, he is our portion. The question is, do we trust it? The question is, do we value that portion over all the other portions that are vying for our attention and our affection? One final thing to explore regarding this verse is the concept of boundary markers. This will stretch some of you a little bit, but it's a fun idea. Uh, Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight: Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. In God's provision for the tribes of Israel, as I said, he personally established their boundaries. He set those lines, right? Living in contentment for them meant uh, that they accepted those God-ordained lines, and they, they trusted them. Right? In the case of the Levite, the boundary was, in a very real sense, undefined. But in a more spiritual sense, it was God, and that seems Uh, A different kind of undefined. (laughs) Seems too big for our brains to wrap around, but very beautiful. Uh, Let's translate this concept, though, into our lives as Christians. Moving a boundary stone as a member of God's royal priesthood would sound something like this. Jesus plus something, you've all heard this before, Jesus plus something, uh, something else uh, is required either for salvation or required to make me happy. But here's a bold statement for you. Listen to me very clearly. If Jesus plus something is necessary to make you happy, then Jesus never has been nor ever will be your portion. If it's Jesus plus something else, he has never been and ever will be your portion. It comes with surrender, recognizing that he alone is everything. We really need to hear this in the church today. If Jesus plus the perfect job is what's going to make us happy, then Jesus is not our portion. Listen to me. Listen to me. I feel like I'm talking to my kids. I don't mean to be rude. But if Jesus plus the American dream is your heart's desire, Jesus is not your portion. I'm starting to get huffy. Oh, You ain't seen nothing yet. Okay. If Jesus plus the American dream is your heart's desire, that is, that's not Jesus is not our portion. If Jesus plus a perfect marriage, flawless kids. <laughs> Who's got flawless kids in here? Exactly right. John Pryor even sent me. Thank you, Dad. Yes. Anyway, John Pryor even sent me a message this morning said he's staying home because his kids are heathens. Right. Anyway, so, but anyway, but you you get my point, right? If that's what you're wanting, then Jesus cannot be your portion. If you want the ideal life, Jesus is not your portion. If Jesus plus the America you grew up in, I'm waiting until you guys go, uh oh. If Jesus plus the America you grew up in is required for you to be happy, not only will you be dissatisfied, disappointed, but your portion is not Jesus. See, church, when Jesus is our portion, we can be led into Babylonian captivity, and we ain't changing. We're singing, to, we're singing in prison like Paul and the other apostles. We're rejoicing in who God is. Am I saying that we need to throw our hands up and wave the white flag of surrender on all these matters? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We simply have to know what is important. They must come as a result of Jesus being our portion. Otherwise, we have have serious idolatry problems. We have to understand that no matter what we attempt to add to Jesus, we are in some sense... Moving the boundary markers of the gospel. I don't have enough territory. I need Jesus plus this or plus that. Consider the Apostle Paul's statement to the church in Philippi. And and hear me, church. If God is truly our portion, we should believe this statement. We should be able to declare these words. And we should be able to do so with a whole heart and no reservation. Here's Paul's words. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count, say it with me, church, all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. So I already lost it. But look at what Paul says next. And I count them but rubbish. So that I may gain Christ. See what we have is we have, we have King Jesus and his kingdom and all that he says. And then what we have is all of these things that we polish up and we, and we make nice and we worship at their feet. That's not rubbish to us. That's prized possessions to us. And those things creep in and have a problem. Now, what do we do in response to this? We trust that Jesus will enable us to view them in a right way. That's what Paul goes on to say to the church in Philippi. His idea is, I have been given much and I've lived in want, but I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those things, Jesus not only needs to be my portion, but when he is my portion, those things will not fight for attention. They will not fight for attention. We will love him above all else, church. And when he is first. And when he is our portion. We don't have to worry about who comes first in the pecking order. We just know that God will transform us on all things. So there's going to be days when you're going to look at your kids and you're going to say, I have to make Susie my priority. If you don't have a kid named Susie, pretend with me. right? You're going to have to make Susie your priority. Which means what? Which means everybody else in your life takes a back seat. Are you somehow not like Jesus now? Of course not. Of course not. What you're doing is allowing that transformed mind to affect you the way God intended to affect you. He is changing every part of you and how you see everybody around you. So, are you idolizing your kids and neglecting your wife? Well then, you're already not having you have an issue because Jesus not being your portion would prevent you from the, the neglect. And it would put your children in a right position in your mind. They are arrows that you get to shoot into this world. What a fun idea. I'm going to build a catapult in my backyard and see how far I can launch them. But the idea is that you have to see them rightly. And you will only see them rightly when Jesus is your portion. You will only see your workplace rightly when Jesus is your portion. You will only see the neighbor next door rightly if Jesus is your portion. We have to learn to counter all other things as, or to count all other things as worthless compared to knowing Christ. We have to see Jesus alone as our portion. And when we come to that place, we won't need a life ordered properly. No matter what uh, tradition or if there's a tralititiousness. I'm just looking for that word. Anyway, no matter what it says, we're going to see all these things fall in line. Hey, guess what, church? So far, my time's already up, and I've navigated one whole verse. This is going to be a long day. Okay, so anyway, I, I wow, that was, Steph, I'm slower than I thought I was. Anyway, this is not good. I sought your favor with all my heart. Verse 58, listen up. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. The Hebrew word favor here is also translated face. This is fun. It's translated face, which allows us to render the verse the same way that the NIV does. Again, this is the second time I've praised the NIV in one sermon. It will never happen again. I promise you. Okay? So here's what it says. I sought your face with all my heart. Now, this is an interesting idea. In scripture, we learn that no one can see the face of God and live, Exodus chapter 30, verse 20. But we also read that if a person has seen Jesus, they have seen the Father, John chapter 14, verse 9. Connecting these dots would mean a lot of things, (laughs) but the thing I want you to see is that it would mean that seeking the favor of God or the face of God means that we seek King Jesus. It has always been God's plan for us to seek Him through His Son. One more reason why Jesus is the only way to God. He is the exact representation of God in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And guess what happens when you see King Jesus face to face? This is part of the beauty of all of it. You die. You die to yourself, and you are remade in Him. Isn't this amazing? This is, this is why that this combination... Paralleling these is so exciting to me. It's just that I don't have three hours to go into all of it, okay? Tying this in with verse 57, God, as our portion, necessitates seeking his face with a whole heart. The result here will always be that God is first, right? He will be our king. He is everything. Uh, Think about the blessing that was found in Numbers chapter 6. This is what the Israelites always wanted, to see the face of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. How many of you want that blessing in your life? Seek him with all your heart. Make him your portion. You go after him. Notice David had as his aim the exact same thing. I mean, almost verbatim. Psalm 119. I sought your face. Be gracious to me. Same thing as number six. Pursuing God is an obvious part of him being our portion. The scripture is clear. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Matthew six twenty one. And again, seek first the kingdom. If we're going to seek God with all of our heart, then he must be our treasure. He must be our portion. This also brings us back to the idea that I mentioned earlier about provision and protection. So, so how many of you said you wanted provision and protection? Here's the part of the sermon that you need to be listening to. David prayed for God to be gracious according to his word, okay? So we want that too. Be gracious according to your word. Give us provision. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Uh, this is where we hear the words, uh, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added. But what are all the things? What, what is everything? Well, Jesus defines exactly what they are. And he didn't write us a blank check so you don't just get to make stuff up, okay? So here's what he says. What we eat, drink, and wear, verse 25. Don't worry about anything, seek first the kingdom, don't worry about these things, and they will be added to you. What we eat, what we drink, and what we wear. What is that church? It's called provision. It's called provision. And then he tells us in verse 27 that he's going to take care of the very length of our life, which in ancient times was all about their protection. They didn't have anything to guarantee that. So the point is, what you eat, drink, and wear, your provision, and the very length of your life, which is protection. This is what blessing is in the word of God. God says he'll take care of it. He does not promise you a Lexus. Barney? Anyway, okay. Just, I'm teasing him. That was a former life. It was a former life, former life. And he doesn't promise you specialized license plates. Fabulous. Anyway, he used to have that as a license plate. I just want you all to know this. And then he had Jet Black on a black BMW. I mean, he so wanted to be Nathan Daniels. It was ridiculous. Anyway, (laughs) now here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, man. Guess what? I'm on the outs with Barney, Nathan, and Sarah. This is not a good sermon. Anyway, (laughs) here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. I'm going to wrap all this stuff up, maybe. Uh, (laughs) When God is our portion, and it's his face that we're seeking, church, we are not pursuing provision or protection. What are we pursuing at all times? This This is so good for anybody who has ADD. There's only one thing you have to focus on, Jesus. Just pursue Jesus. He'll take care of all the rest. This is a hopeful message right now, right? We are simply guaranteed these things when we seek God. So what does God uh, want for our life? What does God say about our life? God tells us that he made us to need other things beside himself, food and water, all these other things. He's not intimidated by them. But God made us to need him personally. And we need to get back to that idea of needing him. We should never forget that God prescribed, God's prescribed action for us was to pursue him and that he will take care of the rest. So what did I say at the beginning? If God is our portion, everything else can and will fall into place because he's in control of it, church. Although God knows what we need before we ask, he never implies that we should uh, not ask or that he gets tired of our asking. God doesn't want repetitive babble. I think we're all clear on that. But he invites us to pray. He invites us, as David did, trusting in his portion but seeking his portion for provision. Run to God run to him. You're my everything, Lord. Thy will be done. This is what he goes after. So you can find this in Psalm 41, or Psalm 56, or Psalm 57. Those are just a few examples. So let's wrap this up. Jesus is our portion in our cup. Can I get an amen? Amen. That wasn't a good enough amen, and I need Nathan Daniels to shout it. Because Jesus is our portion in our cup. Amen? Amen. There we go. I love it. Through him, we have provision and protection. Can I get an amen? amen? Yes. He is the bread that brings life. He is our portion, right? And he is our cup. He is the bread. He is the blood, which is going to lead us perfectly into communion, right? Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. That is where we are in the wilderness of this life, looking to Jesus all the way. What is in our hearts? These are some important questions for you. Have we sanctified Christ as Lord, looking to him and him alone as our portion? If not, we're going to run that rat race. If not, we're going to get really tired. Verse 3, he humbled you and let you be hungry. And fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live on bread alone. Do you mean that God might make me go without to trust him? Yes, he absolutely will. But man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord when he's your portion. Israel didn't see him that way. And they complained and complained and complained. So, log on to Facebook today. If all you see is complaining, I'm telling you who we are. We're just like Israel. We're not seeing Jesus. We're not seeing God as our portion, as our portion or our provider. Are we trusting God to be what he always has been? Full provision. Verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Sounds very familiar to Matthew and what Jesus said not to worry about, doesn't it? Do we trust him to be our provision, our protection, looking to him only for what we need? I don't know. I struggle with this, church. Verses five and six. Thus, you are to know in your heart that the Lord, your God, was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Did he say, the Lord your God has caused you to go without, the Lord your God has taken away from you, because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, because God now hates you, and he just wants to see you suffer? Does it say that? It does not say that. Instead, what it says is that your father is disciplining you just the same way he does his son. Who does he see you to be, church? Sons and daughters. He's disciplining us. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Life feels like it's falling apart. You feel like God has abandoned you. And guess what the answer is? Look to King Jesus. And when he is your portion and when he is your cup, he will provide and he will protect. This is a big deal, church. There is a great chasm between here and here, though, right? So you guys heard it, you guys get it, but living this out, living and honoring God with a whole heart, with everything that we are, this is where we need each other. This is back to the idea that it's not just a holy huddle. It's, it's about community, it's about iron sharpening iron. It's about us loving each other and walking with each other. So in this situation, what we have Is that God tells us that he's going to provide for us. He disciplines as he does his son. And then he says, therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. View him as your portion and go after him with all your heart. That's all that matters. We are his children, church. He is our full and complete portion. Are we open to being sanctified and disciplined so that we can walk fully in that truth? This is where all the eyes go down all of a sudden. Are we willing to be disciplined? Psalm 119, 103 says that the words, uh, God's words are sweeter than honey. Psalm 34, 8 tells us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And 1 John 5, 3 reassures us that his commands are not burdensome. So his commands are are the honey. And if we will try them, if we will walk in them, what we will do is we will see that the Lord is good. He's not only our portion, he's the sweetest portion you will ever experience in your life. Thanks so much for listening to Rebuilding from Pierce Point Community Church. We hope that today's podcast will help you become a more connected part of Christ's body. Remember to check out our website at piercepoint.org for more information.